Welcome to Spiritual Psychology. My name is Renee LaValle McKenna. I'm a therapist and healer in San Francisco. And I just got back from a few days up social distancing at Lake Shasta on a houseboat. It was so fun. There were nine of us, three grown-ups, six children, five dogs. So fun. I love being outside. In fact, I think I've decided that I'm done with being domesticated. I've been obsessed with tiny houses for a couple years now since I started camping again. I've actually had a live workspace in my house that I love. It's caused so much simplification, easy to clean, not a lot of stuff. It's amazing. And I have this shed in my backyard filled with stuff that rarely gets used. And I've been thinking about turning it into a tiny house to Airbnb. I'm thinking now about turning it into a tiny house and actually living out there myself. I'm going to get a composting toilet. I'm going to get a couch that converts easily into a bed. And I'm going to spend time in nature in my own backyard. I've been working on my garden during this sheltering at home time. And my backyard looks really great. The weather's been beautiful. I planted a New Zealand Christmas tree that I've been wanting for years. All this time that I've spent camping has really got me excited about the idea of getting some property out in the country. I love to wake up in the morning when the sun rises and I love to go to sleep and watch the moon. Wake up, I wake up a lot during the night. I love to wake up and watch the moon. We were on the boat, I was watching the moon set the other day. It was beautiful. My kids all got to sleep outside on the top deck of the boat on Lake Shasta and see the stars, it was amazing. We had a lot of different weather and what being outside really reminds me of is that life is change. And often in our confined, domesticated, modern life where we live in buildings and sit in boxes and look at screens all the time, we're with a lot of inanimate objects and we can be totally separated from this continual cosmic dance that's happening all around us. It makes me crazy. My kids don't even want to go outside. When I was a kid, when I was 14, you couldn't keep me in the house. <laughs> of course, I was out partying and being wild with all my friends, but now you can't get the kids to go outside. But being out in nature is a visceral experience that life is a verb. Just in the four days that we spent up in Shasta, we had so much weather, so much wind, of different kinds. We had different temperatures. It was beautiful when we got there. Awesome sun, beautiful sunsets, beautiful stars. The earth is always moving. The moon is always moving. The sun is always moving. The water is always moving and changing. We had a crazy thunder and lightning storm with hail. It was amazing. Of course, it happened right at a time when we needed to bring the boat back because one of the kids took too long of a shower and then the tanks filled up so they were <laughs> we couldn't wash the dishes because all the food, it was the gray water, it was all bubbling up in the showers. So we had to take the boat in before the marina closed at 4.30 and then we realized the boat was stuck and we had to pull the boat out and then it started to rain and hail. It was crazy. It was so fun. We had so much fun having weather. There was this awesome extra thing that happened too. So I got really inspired to build a teepee. There's tons and tons of driftwood and somebody, we were riding around on jet skis and I saw this teepee that was on one of the bluffs that we rode past and I thought, oh, I want to build a teepee. So 
we gathered up a bunch of wood and I, I spent like four hours putting together this teepee. I'll post a picture of the teepee in the show notes. Super fun. I love to do public art. I, I love, and, and so I ended up, I had never built anything with wood like that, actually. I had brought some yarn and that was the only thing I used a little bit was to tie the initial four or five sticks together. And then I just like used another piece of wood to bang other pieces of wood together. It was pretty solid. We were with a lot of kids, so I knew I wanted it to be solid if anybody was going to go in it. I didn't want it, them to get crushed by hundreds of pounds of wood <laughs> if the thing wasn't built right. So anyway, I built this great teepee. Then the storm came in and we we're all on the boat. And my son was like, I don't want to go. And he stayed on the island. We were actually on a little island on Shasta. He stayed on the island with my dog. And then the weather started as we pulled out. And I knew he, he he's 16. It's fine. But it really got crazy. It was hailing. The, the lake looked like an ocean and was really wild. So we get back and my son had been able to use the structure that I had built as a shelter. <laughs> so amazing. Like who would have thought that this thing that I did that was just totally fun and a piece of art would actually be functional. Anyway, it was super fun. Him and the dog, they hunkered down in there. My dog hates the lightning and the lightning was, he was like laying on top of my dog. So the dog didn't have a seizure because she freaks out. And anyway, it was super fun. So all of that is a life experience that happens when you're out in the world, experiencing that life is a verb, ever-changing, constantly moving. You know, in Hinduism, they talk about the cosmic dance of Shiva. Shiva is the creator, the preserver, and the destroyer. And the cosmic dance of Shiva has five parts. It's the creation, the preservation, the destruction, the illusion, and the emancipation. The cycles of creation, preservation, and destruction are just so present when I'm outside. And we really hate them in the Western world. We like creation. We're pretty good hanging out with preservation, but we don't like destruction generally. I have a really good friend that does demolition. So actually, you know, and in construction, you do a lot of demolition. You got to do demolition to create new stuff. And that is actually what the cycle is, is that when something gets destroyed, something new can be created. Very easy to see in the woods. We can think about that each day as the sun rises. It's a birth and then it's preserved in the day. And then the day is destroyed when the sun is set. But then we have the creation of the night and the heavens and get to see the moon and all the stars. If you don't live in the city where there's tons of lights, because if you go a little bit further out, there's really a lot of stars. They're pretty cool. It's actually a lot of satellites up there now too. But the illusion and the emancipation, the illusion of life, of wherever we're at, we're always in some kind of an illusion. And how do we become free? That's emancipation. How do we become free from the illusion? I've become fascinated with the idea of animism. Fascinated is not the right word. Actually, I've become enamored. I've become in love with the idea of animism. And animism is the concept that everything has life force. And the longer I live and the deeper my practice, this feels truer and truer for me. That for me, way beyond the concept of God is the idea of universal consciousness. That we're all a part of universal consciousness and we're all aspects of universal consciousness. That actually everything that is man-made and everything that's naturally created is an aspect of consciousness. And the idea that 
life, the creation of the material world is consciousness having an experience of itself. And it breaks into infinite creative particles and parts and forms and reforms itself, creating, preserving, destroying, creating, preserving, destroying, creating, preserving, destroying, infinitely. That's the dance. Ever creative, ever evolving. And we're a part of that. But so is everything else. So it feels true to me, not only is everything made of consciousness, that everything is consciousness, but everything has consciousness. And unfortunately, in the dominant Western culture, we've come to believe that the only thing that has consciousness is us, other humans. We might extend that to our pets and perhaps some other what we would consider highly intelligent creatures. But beyond that, we have lost our connection with the life force that pulses through all things. Now, physics points to the fact that everything is very similar. You know, we're all made of ancient atoms. <laughs> the atoms that were, are in my body now were in the earth or in the ocean or in the air at different times. And there's a continual cycle happening and within the atoms, atoms are mostly made of space, which to me is probably what consciousness actually is. And there's a constant creation, preservation, and destruction, creating the illusion of form. Not that form's not real. What's actually happening in form on an atomic level is not what our experience is. The idea that the table is solid or the rock is solid is actually incorrect from atomic physics that most things are primarily space because the way atoms are formed as just electrons protons and neutrons whirling around and creating the idea of a solid structure and you group a bunch of those together and you get stuff and some of that stuff we call living and it can move itself around or grow and some of that stuff we consider to be non-living but from the perspective of animism all things have consciousness. I think some of the curiosity and interest and even romanticism that people have often toward Native American or more indigenous religions is a call back to that basic belief and experience that there's consciousness in all things, that perhaps there's consciousness in the wind, in the water, in the sky, in the rock or the tree, or the raven, or the deer. Now certainly in my shamanic practice, journeying into non-ordinary reality and connecting with aspects of consciousness, it's very powerful to journey to the spirit of a place, to journey to ocean, or mountain, or meadow, journey to a particular place, the cove at Lake Shasta where we moored the boat. When we open to the possibility that consciousness exists in all things, then life becomes a conversation. We're no longer isolated and alone. We're surrounded by the life force, and not just in an intellectual way. And again, I love to be outside because I can experience that so viscerally. My first spiritual experience was with the wind, actually. I was early in recovery and I was really trying to get a connection with the higher power. 
in the whole Old Testament, God sitting on a cloud with a big white beard looking like Charlton Heston, he whipped lightning bolts at bar sluts like me. So I, I didn't feel like I could go to him. <laughs> and so I, I remember sitting outside, and it was at night, and I asked whatever the fuck it was, like, I need an experience to know that there is something paying attention to me, something that cares about whether I live or die. And the wind whipped up, and I knew it was an answer. I'd become a little disconnected from the wind. And working with a client last week, wind is a primary elemental for her. Working with elementals, working with the elements as guides and teachers or aspects of the divine is really powerful because they're part of our body and they're part of our experience, whether we're conscious of it or not. And most of the time we aren't. There's this fabulous Native American song that I love that talks about earth my body, water my blood, wind my breath, and fire my spirit, that we hold all the elements within us. And when we can make the connection with the elements viscerally, experientially, relationally, outside of ourselves, it's very, very powerful. I remember listening to the story of the once and future king, which is the coming up of King Arthur as a child. He's interacting with Merlin, who's his teacher, and Merlin sends him basically on all these different shamanic journeys, and he gets to interact as a fish. He becomes a fish, and he eats a smaller fish, and then he's consumed by a larger fish. He becomes a rock and experiences the rock life cycle and sees in fast motion, he sees the rocks forming from the center of the earth or forming from compression or volcanoes and moving with the, with the land and eventually going back into the earth. He experiences, I forget which mammal it is, might be a bear or a deer. Anyway, so the sword, there's this sword stuck in the stone and whoever can take the sword out of the stone becomes the next king. There's this big jousting match and Arthur is actually the page for this slightly older boy. And I think he's the favored one to become the king. And he forgets his sword. And so Arthur has to run back and get the sword. He sees the sword in the stone and he tries to lift it out and he can't. And all of the elements and creatures that he's been studying with through Merlin come. And they come to help him and gather to him and give him their strength. And he's animated by animism. And he's able to easily pull the sword out of the stone. He doesn't even actually understand what just happens. And he brings the sword to the kid who's on the jousting field. And everybody's like, wait a minute. That's the sword from the stone. Did you do that? How did you do that? Anyway, and he becomes the king. But he gets a lot of help from all of the life force. And that's available to all of us. It's not just special for King Arthur. It's kind of like Jesus said, everybody can do the works that I do. To get biblical about it, though, I think the origin of our separation is justified by the very, very beginning of Genesis in the Bible. In the first chapter of Genesis, when God's making everything in those seven days, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. But that line that gives us dominion, let them have dominion, that means power. It justifies us 
dominating or attempting to dominate all the life forms that exist. And I think the age of domination is coming to bite us in the ass. I think the age of domination needs to end if we're going to survive as a species. However, if we think about the cosmic dance of creation and preservation and destruction, that there's an ever-evolving infinite cycle of birth and life and death that repeats itself, birth, life, death, birth, life, death, birth, myself, I'm not that worried about the end of humanity. Everything ends. We've had a bunch of ice ages. And what started to feel true for me as a person who was brought up with environmental activist parents who spends a lot of my energy trying to make the world a better place is, again, this Hindu idea that the material world is Maya. Maya is the idea that there is an illusion in the material world, that there is existence, but the nature of existence is actually perpetual change. Life is a verb. And there's a spiritual reality underlying that, which is immutable, indestructible, permanent, unchanging. That's the place we get screwed up because we get attached to the material world because it takes some work to be connected with the underlying reality, to surrender ourselves to life, to be a part of life, to allow ourselves to be created, preserved, and destroyed. We get attached. That's the Buddhist idea of attachment as the root of all suffering. Particularly, again, when I'm out in nature, I can feel the necessity of death and the beauty of death and the decomposition and re-recycling of life, that the tree is born, it grows, it dies, it decomposes, it becomes dirt that then nourishes the tree that grows and lives and then dies. And there's a whole cycle. And can we allow ourselves to be part of that cycle? Can we surrender to life? Trying to have dominion over things isn't working very well. It certainly hasn't worked very well in my life. Although I'm a super creative person and I do want to make the world a better place. It's been brought to me again and again and again that I'm powerless over the outer world, but what I do have power over is myself. It's like that idea of the serenity prayer. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And the things that I can change are generally within myself. Because there's a lot of environmental questions and a lot of economic questions, a lot of social justice questions going on, we can often want to change the world. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Activism is a beautiful thing and does bring about a lot of institutional changes. But really, what if life is the way that it is on this plane of reality and we're supposed to allow ourselves to be changed by life? What if we aren't actually supposed to change external reality? What if external reality is supposed to change us? And I know when I take that position, when I have that perspective, that I'm supposed to be changed by life, that my work is actually to change myself and evolve and develop and grow, there's a huge relief. I don't need to change the world. Now, as I change myself, because we are all interrelated... (laughs) because we're all interconnected, like much more deeply interconnected than I think we have any idea. 
as I change myself, I actually do change the outer world. I change the choices I make, certainly in the most simple way. I change the choices I make. I change the way that I behave. And that alone can make the world a better place and the people around me have a better experience of me. Now, I may also be drawn to create things or do things that when I'm living my most authentic self and interacting from this place of I'm a part of this life system, that what happens to me happens to the river, happens to the sky, happens to the dog, happens to the bird, that it's all, it really is all interconnected in a web that's ridiculously complicated that we can't understand with our little brains. But when I do feel myself to be a part of this life system, less attached to my own preservation, I don't need to grab and grasp and hold on to things so much I can let go. For myself, this conversation with life becomes quite joyful and interesting. And then I'm having a relationship with the flower and I'm having a relationship with the bumblebee. I'm having a relationship with the rock or the ocean or the beach. And that even extends into things that are created, things that are man-made. I was thinking about the teepee that I made and how fun it is that I got this inspiration to build this thing and then it actually became useful and helped my son and we left it there. Again, it's quite a strong structure. The kids even put some mud on it. If we had had more time, it would have turned into a yurt. But <laughs> anyway, that's going to be there. Maybe, I don't know how long it'll be there. It depends. Maybe somebody will set it on fire like a giant bonfire. It's a little close to the woods. I hope they don't do that. But other families will get to use that. It will be a continuing, it'll have, it has a life. The teepee that I built has a life. It was created. It's going to be preserved for a period of time. And then it will be destroyed. And when I can move out of my myopic view of my own fearful feeling of separation from the life process that's happening all around me, that illusion, then I get emancipated and I can be free to just live in this verb of perpetual creation and movement and destruction and preservation. It's actually the cosmic dance. And I can trust that larger process. I don't need to control it. I don't need to be afraid of it. I can participate in it. And when I can align myself with this rhythm that's happening of life, things really flow for me. There's an ease. There's an inner guidance. Life comes to meet me. This conversation that I'm having a relationship with life. And the life force is ever present conversing back with me. And that's why I want to go live in my tiny house outside. Because when I'm outside, I feel it much more than I do in my house. Oh, but I started to say, we can have those relationships even with man-made things. I think, <laughs> I'll end with this interesting story. I was remembering when I had this van. It was kind of cool because I actually, my grandmother died. She was a hoarder. She had all this stuff. And one of the things I found was a box of baseball cards. And my friend Craig Pagnano, I used to call him the little guinea, Craig Pagnano, one of the best people in the whole world, he said, I needed, I didn't have a car and I wanted to buy his van, but I didn't have enough money. And he said, he said, you know what? Craig loved baseball cards. And he said, hey, I'll trade you the baseball cards for the van. Awesome. So I got this van and I drove it for a couple of years. You know, it went, it went, it ran, whatever. <laughs> and then 
I don't even remember why I needed to get rid of the van. But anyway, I got rid of the van. I sold it to somebody for like 300 bucks. And honest to God, the engine blew up when they were driving it home. I drove that thing for like three or four years. And <laughs> I swear I had a relationship with that van. It, it hung on to its life so that I could drive it. There was just too much coincidence for it to blow up on the way home from the guy. It, I actually didn't even have, it didn't even have a lot of mechanical problems. Maybe he was a bad person. I don't know. But it's a very interesting thing that we have, we have relationships with our stuff. Now there's a place where that can be pathological too, but I do believe that there's consciousness in all things. Different levels of consciousness. Certainly my computer mouse has a much different, <laughs> has a much different level of consciousness than the rock that I love to sit on outside, which has a different level of consciousness from the New Zealand Christmas tree that I just planted that I'm so excited about that's taking root and really growing really healthy. I'm excited. Or my beautiful daughter, who I have a fabulous relationship with, or my funny little dog. So different relationships, but life is a relationship. Life is a verb and everything has consciousness. When we can open to that possibility, our life experience becomes not only more vibrant and interesting, for me, it's actually elevated. That this conversation that I'm having with life becomes really dynamic and engaged and perhaps filled with love and creativity and passion. And that's what I wish for you, a life of love and creativity and passion. So make some time to go outside and feel the elements, the wind, the earth beneath you, the sky above you, the water that might be near you. It rushes through your own veins every day. We are an intrinsic part of the life force. And to move that from an intellectual idea into a body felt experience is an awakening. So wake up. <laughs> I do have openings for clients. I'm holding sessions on phone, FaceTime, and Skype. You can send me an email, info at reneemckenna.com. You can pick up a copy of my new book, Allies and Demons, Working with Spirit for Power and Healing. The workbook that goes with the book and the 15 processes in it is out. They're both on Amazon. You can visit my website, reneemckenna.com, or just go right to Amazon, Allies and Demons. Be well. Stay safe. Blessings on your path. Until we meet again. This is Renee LaValle McKenna for Spiritual Psychology.